Welcome to the King's Table Podcast. I am so excited to be here today because I actually missed a week and I was telling the guys off camera, I was... I didn't even know if they were going to be able to do it without me, but I listened to the episode <laughs> and you guys are phenomenal. So uh, I'm, I'm kidding. But today we are going to get into some amazing things. Um, I want to talk about 3000% inflation. Um, I saw a statistic that since, since the Fed has been put in place, we literally just hit 3000% inflation since the foundation of the Fed, which is pretty crazy. That means that a dollar in 1932 or whatever it was is now worth like 0.38 cents. So I don't know if what we're dealing with right now is a new problem. That's kind of what I really want to jump into. And and who knows where we're going to get today. Everybody's just kind of winging it. But I'm excited. I'm always excited for this conversation. Um, I get to be the hostess with the mostest today because Ash has been traveling a lot and he's tired. So let's get into it, boys. Who's Where are we jumping in at? I read an article the other day that said, is it more important to think positively or spend less time thinking about your negative thoughts? Like what's more important is to like keep having positive thoughts or to stop thinking about negative thoughts? That's a toss up, man. The, I was like, I, mean, I, can't, I, don't, I don't know any way they'd be able to actually like do a medical meaning, or like a, a test on that or not. Well, I have my opinion, but I think that I think that what what it means is that do you keep just trying to program your mind to keep thinking positively, or do you spend more time intentionally dealing with the negative thoughts to unwind them or to release them? Does that make sense? Not to say that you're not thinking about negative thoughts because negative thoughts are natural. Positive thoughts are not natural. Biologically, they're not. What you think about grows, and what you think about like expands, and so. I think the key to life is trying to think positive. Because if you're saying like, don't think about that negative thought, don't think about that negative thought, you're, you're thinking, thinking about, about it. it. Yeah. yeah. And but, the only way that you, and, and when my brain gets going, I can't get it to stop thinking, but I try to distract it. So if you can distract your negative thoughts with positive thinking, then that's probably key. Well, I think dealing with, you know, the the negative things that we need to deal with is 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 valuable and important. I just think that, I just don't, I, I think we're hit with so many pieces of negative information that really just don't have anything to specifically do with us that we have to like, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do with that. I've just been thinking about it. And um, I, I think that's what's probably causing a lot of the challenges, you know, mental illness. Maddie, that's what uh, <laughs> that's what you were really asking along the way is like, is this a mental illness problem? Is it, you know, what is all of this? And I think people are, I think people are in such a bad place because of, you know, the bombardment, I think we're just constantly in fight or flight mode. And, and I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I agree. I, I'm just concerned about what, 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 if this thread continues to get pulled on for another decade, like what is future decades of America look like? Those are kind of the biggest concerns for me. Cause even if it is a small subset, right, it's going to have a ripple effect in some capacity through culture, through what gets, clicks and clicks lead to money and money drives a lot of what we do in America, almost everything that we do in America. So just something I think to pay attention to. And like you said, going back to doubling down on leadership and who you surround yourself with and the conversations that you're participating in. Cause I know when I was hanging around nine people and, you know, we were talking about X, Y, and Z and we were smoking and drinking and stealing and I became the 10th person. And I grew into those conversations in that exact environment. I'm sure, you know, 
uh, all of us can relate to when you surround yourself with nine other people that are talking positively and having these kind of challenging conversations and inspiring each other and holding each other accountable and, you know, focusing on leadership and values, you adopt and grow into those kind of environments too. So we have a choice, right? I try and build a moat and kind of, you know, barriers and boundaries around the stuff that I want to be somewhat engaged and knowledgeable and enlightened, but I also think America and, and just humanity as it is with access to technology and all the stuff that we can easily just plug into, we've almost become too enlightened. We're too fucking smart. We're too aware. We're too, you know, we, we know all of these things. And I think that has, you know, some definitely some negative effects that we've, we've seen in, in recent years. Yeah. Mooch, what's on your mind? You know, I, I have a lot of stuff on my mind, man. I've had a, I've had cr crazy weeks. Last week I did some marketing stuff. Next week, by the time this comes out, I'll be hosting my, my mastermind at my office. And so I've got, I've got good stuff going on. I got stressful stuff. We started this conversation, you know, before every, when I, when I first came on, it was talking about essentially like employees and quiet quitting versus not quitting and, and things like that. And that got me thinking a lot about, I was trying to figure out the last time an employee actually quit and whether that's a good thing or not as people are cycling mm. out the, because I haven't had anybody quit in a long time and which that could be seen as that's great. That means everybody's, that means you're taking good care of everybody. Uh, that means everybody's happy. That means business is going. That could mean people are comfortable or it could mean people are overpaid Right. Cause usually when people are quitting, it's because they want to be paid more. And so the, and so as you're trying to keep up with markets and things like that, so I just thought that was an interesting thing at, uh, you know, kind of offline of, you know, when people quit. And then here, I guess a question that I would pose, that I think is worth discussing is this idea of does an, does an employee owe you two weeks' notice when they quit? And my short answer on it, and my belief is no. They don't owe us anything. I wish they did uh, because most of the time, if I let somebody go, I pay them a severance. Most of the time I pay them a severance, even if I fire them for cause and the amount I pay them is dependent on how bad I feel. But most of the time that severance is probably also for me and for my like mental health. And so I can sleep better at night and feel less bad about hmm. terminating them. But the, but employees were asking them to help us build our dream and we're asking them to help us make a lot of money. And if one day they wake up and say, I'm out, I'm leaving tomorrow, like it'd be nicer if they gave two weeks. It'd be nicer if they handed off projects and like opened their email and showed where something is. But, um, but I don't, but I don't, actually don't think, I don't think they do. Uh, I'd be curious if you guys just think, do, do they, do they owe us two weeks notice or they owe us a month's notice or not? And I've done it. Like I've never quit a job. I've, I mean, I only had to quit a couple of jobs, but I always did them with notice and always did them with notice thinking like I'd be giving them enough time to help replace me. Uh, but I've had people, I remember having a guy that worked for me, probably one of the last guys that quit. I'm having a conversation with him at the end of the day. It's like 4.30. We're talking about how his day went. We're talking about next week's business meeting. We're talking about all this stuff. Like 30 minutes, me and him one-on-one. -on -one. He says, goodnight, walks out, and he gets to his car and he sends a I quit email. Damn. And he says, hey, I've been offered this other job. Um, yeah, I've had it for a while. The training starts tomorrow officially. So they just reached back out to me. So I'm not coming back in. The password to log into my computer is X and the password to log into my email is X. Thank you for the opportunity. 
And I remember being like, what? Who's going to run customer support chat tomorrow? Who's going to like do the Zoom meetings that you had scheduled? And I was ticked off. And, but then I also realized it wasn't personal. Like if you yeah. got to support your family and be, do something for your family, he was like, I got this great big opportunity. And if I quit today and start that tomorrow, I've got it. And if I don't quit today and don't stop that tomorrow, maybe I won't have the opportunity or maybe it's two months down the line. So it's my two quick examples. I pose that question to you guys. I personally feel like they don't owe me anything and I don't owe them anything. Like just what we've agreed to. So if you work an hour, if you're paid hourly and you work an hour, I owe you that pay for an hour. So I've, I used to get really emotional about this too. And I think as we just get older and you go through it more and more times, like I think you just get to the point where, you know, even from a human perspective, when we're talking about human emotions, what I've realized is there was a guy that used to work for me that was amazing technician and then we decided we wanted to open up this other um, area. It was another town called Winnemucca. I was going to buy a company there, an HVAC company. I had sent Trevor down there um, to, to run the service department. And we were supposed to have a meeting on Tuesday with like the owner of this company that we were going to buy. And I literally came to the office Tuesday morning. I was going to leave early because Winnemucca is like a two-hour drive. So I'm at the office at like 4 o'clock in the morning. And I see Trevor's truck there, his service truck. And I opened the door of the truck and there's a note in there, his computer and everything else. And oh he had freaking quit. And not only did he quit, he was negotiating and ended up buying the company that I was going to buy. He like kind of completely undermined me. And I was just like, what mm. I realized in that moment, and Trevor never said anything to me, but what I realized in that moment was like when people, when people quit, the reason why they don't talk to you is because they're either, they have shame or they have fear. They have shame on what they did, which was Trevor's situation, or they're fearful because I'm very convincing. And I think most of the time when somebody like in your case, Aaron, this guy probably, you would just talk to him. Like, why didn't he say something? He was probably scared that you were going to be able to convince him to stay. And so I think, I think sometimes, you know, I've just came to the point where I realized they're just dealing with emotions and they're human. And the people that actually come and sit down like Lori did, my, um, I was, you know, talking about the girl that quit that's been with me forever. She got her dream job in major league baseball. And she actually sat down. I didn't even try to convince her to stay because it was her dream job. And, and she did what was right. She gave me the almost two weeks notice. But I think most of the time when people just quit, quit, it's because they're either fearful of what you're going to say and how you're going to treat them. Um, or you're going to talk them into staying or, or they have shame because, you know, they feel like they owe you something. So Maddie, what were you going to say? Couldn't agree more. I think, you know, when the first couple of times it happened to me, I, I was, I took it personal. I was offended, but that was about me, not about them. And so that definitely, you know, led me to some reflection. I think it goes back to kind of the gap in the gain in my mind in a lot of things. Like I think my principles, I would never do that to somebody like that, that, that is, that's why I took offense to it. But my ideal you know, the, the, the gain or the gap, I guess, right. Versus what, you know, people do versus what I think they should do. That, that's my own issue. Right. And so I think it's important to keep that in perspective. And also I think it's, if anything, it's, I always try and look at when those types of things happen, you know, it's, 
it's it's a great opportunity for reflection to say, where's my DNA in this situation? Could I have done anything differently? I think in your situation, you know, you couldn't have done anything differently. She got her dream job. And, and as a great leader, you want to celebrate those people and actually help them transition out. I think also, you know, the communication piece is just so critical when it comes to the environment we now live in. You know, we often assume everything's great and, you know, everybody's good and they're happy. And that's where I think it's really important to have a culture in your your business or just a culture of communication in any relationship that creates space consistently for people to check in and feel heard and be seen. Because oftentimes a lot of, you know, those types of situations could potentially be prevented with some quality communication and collectively working together to find some middle ground that works for everybody. So I do think it's a very interesting, you know, obviously a lot of this quiet quitting was more so after the pandemic and, you know, in younger generations. So I think there's something to be maybe explored a little bit on that front. But, you know, I definitely know that the the quitting piece from certain people, like I've, in the hotels, I've had housekeepers, I've had people just straight up not show up and ghost me, right? And I'm like, I thought we had a great relationship. I thought they were happy, you know, I've, right? But if anything, those those types of opportunities have led me to honestly bulletproof better systems, better communication, better check-ins, you know, things along those lines, which have made me a better leader. So I look at those as, you know, where's my DNA in this situation? How can I grow from it without trying to hold people to my ideals and be disappointed because they may have something completely different going on in their world? So it's it's a tough topic and, and situation for people to navigate, but I still think principally, I would never do that to somebody. And therefore, you know, I expect people not to do it to me, but now obviously knowing that it's business and it's not personal, you know, you, you got to just kind of keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep it trucking. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like build and bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this Deep Sales, and LinkedIn has built the first Deep Sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. I think it's challenging for us to I probably humans in general to we spend so much time in our brain and the way we think that we think everybody else thinks the way that we do. And I remember my my first business partner, he there's probably been five companies that have started from our first business. 
And my first business partner would get so pissed when somebody would leave and become our competitor. And I remember the first time it happened, this son of a bitch, like, you know, he'd win, take our customers. And, and I'm like, like you and I did two years ago, like it's freaking America. Right. And it's just like, that's what I kind of come back to at the end of the day is like, I don't know. I, to, to think that everybody thinks the way I, I used to say this all the time, like our boss will never pay us enough to be his or her neighbor. And there's just some Ooh. truth to that. Like we're, they're just, my same partner would always say like, why don't they think like an owner? Why don't they take ownership? Well, because they're not. And then, you know, yeah. from the other side of it, like we're, I, I think it's all psychological stuff, but I think back to the dog thing and, you know, I, I'm not going to spend a bunch of time like trying to convince people not to be dogs. I'm just going to, I'm going to focus on being a human. So anyway, Ashish, what do you think? Well, I think it goes back to what we were saying before is like, we all think we're way more important than we actually are. Right. And so in the seat of an entrepreneur, the seat of a boss or a person who's hiring, it's, it's always like the first thought is immediately like victim. What the how, how could they do this to me? I've been so good to them. These are the thoughts, right? But when you break it down, okay, fine. There is a architecture in employment that is employee and employer relationship. There's a lot of laws around these types of things. It's meant to be unemotional. That's all fine and dandy. I think that the the challenge that we experience, the emotional challenges we experience is, is because there's this like unwritten expectation that, wait a second, for three years, we have one-to-ones every week. We speak openly. We align with our values, which build trust is one of our values. When you need something like, hey, my, my sister-in-law is getting married this weekend. I just found out what, well, I don't know why you just found out that out, but let's say I need to get leave. I need help with a little bit of cash. I need this. I need that. Employers often are pretty flexible, pretty supportive. We're not signaling that we're going to cut you off at the knees, but when you go back, you're right. They don't owe us anything. We technically don't owe them anything. When there are layoffs, yeah, strategically, we can convince ourselves that it's not wise to communicate that, you know, openly because it's not good for the business, not good for morale. So what gives us the right to do it quickly and what gives us the right to feel like they can't do that to us? So I get all that. It's just with certain, you know, and, and not everybody is the same. You know, that, that's another thing is like there are certain people in relationships, personal and professional, that. You're like, yeah, if that, if that person said, I don't want to be friends anymore, I don't give a shit. That's fine. But but if that if, if I had a really close friend that I'd work through stuff for eight years and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, you're an asshole. Bye-bye. And that was it? That's how we ended it? Really? After eight years? I spent eight years of my life, my limited time on this planet with you. And that's how we're going to end this relationship. So I think going back... This is a human experience we're living. So I think it is not fair to objectify the work relationship to just be some material transaction. I am spending quality lifetime, hours and minutes of my present time with people in this world. And to feel like that just is able to be tossed out so unconditionally but again, it's it's one sided. I'm coming from a one sided place, so I get it. It's Wait, tough. so in that in that context, though, was it around 
how how they did it or that they did it no i think i think that my point is is that things come up in life right and and it's sort of like the devil that we know it's it's like even for me I feel like I'd be treating challenges or issues that I have with my employer much differently than, than maybe most people. And so it's not a matter that they do it. I think everyone has seasons, things that come up in their life that they feel like, hey, I need to make a change for something. And uh, maybe I need to move. Maybe I'm not happy with this industry. Maybe I, uh, I don't really like my team. You know, I need more money. There, there are things, and I get that. Or I, I have a dream job, right, Mike? I have something I really need to chase. It, I really need to go start my own business. I have to go do that. I'm like, okay, go. You know, I had one girl many years ago come to me after working like six years. Super smart, hungry girl. She's like, look, I, I've worked for like twelve years nonstop, and I've grinded, and I've done really well. But I just need to like, I want to go travel the world, and I want to like study to get my MBA. It's like, go, go. That's like the next season of your life. So it's not that it's not that they have to change it. It's the, it's the way that you do it. It's like, wait, you spend six years, eight years of your time working through shit for years. And let's not assume that for, uh, let's not, I mean, we know that for eight years, not everything's perfect every single day. There are ups and downs and ups and downs that you work through things. But at the very end, you decide if my employer is not going to support me on my next journey, I, I just feel like that doesn't make sense. I, I just got to say really quick, I think it's an interesting point that Ashish made that maybe it's like a, maybe it's an additional conversation for later or it's a, a different like theory on the concept that the work relationship shouldn't be transactional because you spend so much time with them. And I think there's a great point in that of the sense, yes, you're spending so much one-on-one -on -one time with people, like you know them, you're close to them, you like comes more than just like an acquaintance. But because money is exchanged, it does end up being transactional. But there's, but it's an interesting theory of, of what, what should it be, right? Like what should it be or not because of the amount of time that's spent? Because in their mind, they're trading their time for money, right? And we're spending more time with them to see if they can make us more money. Now, it's not always like that. But I remember when I went out of business in 2012, 2013, all my employees were my only friends and my best friends. And we hung out at night and we hung out on the weekends and they were like, we would, we'd have big parties. And when I laid everybody off, I remember how devastated I was. Nobody wanted to hang out with me anymore. Mm. None of them, none of them. And I, I remember one of them in particular saying, well, you could have sold your house and kept this going for another six months. I gave them their company cars as a parting gift. I laid people off, gave them their company cars. And they said, well, you could have sold your house and we could have kept going instead. And I remember going like, whoa. I thought we had this relationship and what I learned was it was transactional with all of them. And then I was like, give me that car back. I could have sold all those cars instead of giving them away as like parting gifts uh, to people. So <laughs> I've experienced, so I experienced it on that. Yeah. To where I definitely let myself have uh, my employee relationships be really, really close friendships. And so I try, so I try not to now, frankly, because I get hurt. My feelings yeah. get hurt. Yeah. yeah. I, I also think that the, we're always better off. Like you always get mirrored back, right? I think Maddie just said this is like, there's always a gift in it in some way. So it may sting in the beginning. You may not like it. You may have this emotional circle you go through, but in the end of the day, it always ends up being better than you thought. It always, 
you always learn the lesson of like, wow, what was my role in this? What's my DNA in this? Like, did I did I lose trust? I mean, did they lose trust in me? Is why they did it? Did I cause them to do that? For you know, maybe it's something I did a long time ago. So it's a good lesson for sure. And um, yeah, I think there's probably a healthy balance. I don't think being completely transactional cold is the right answer. And I don't think having your employees over for dinner every night and being best friends and hanging out with the weekends is the right answer. There's probably like a middle ground, right? I think good leaders will be aware enough to ask those questions to find where there's the growth in that, right? And yeah. and hopefully not take it personal. At least that's where I've tried to really exercise that. And the one thing that, you know, in all of this conversation that I keep coming back to is like how you do one thing is how you do everything. I think when you, when you get clear on what your standards are and what your values are, and I think this is honestly, truly what separates a lot of the people that I have massive amounts of respect for, all of you guys on this call and many other people in mutual circles and, you know, people that I follow and allow to kind of lead and guide me in life, you know, intentionally and probably, you know, without them even knowing it is because of those values and because of those standards and because of that mentality of like how you do one thing is how you do everything. You know, it's you want to uphold everybody to those same standards as well. Right. But at the same time, you know, that's also the difference in the polarity of what makes elite, you know, badass people who go out and succeed at the highest levels, impact at the highest levels. And and that is potentially the gap in the difference between some people who are just get get to good or they get to, you know, OK, but they never fully find a way to break through. And that's where at least this is the story I tell myself, right, is going, you know, I'm not here to judge. But at the same time, I think those are little values that if you uphold those in your life, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's with best friends, whether it's with an employer-employee relationship, that can be the difference maker in helping you achieve extraordinary results versus just ordinary, hey, it's what everybody does. Like, it's not a big deal, man. But I look at everything that I do through the lens of, I don't want to just be ordinary. I want to be an outlier. I don't want to just be grouped in with the majority of statistics. I want to be that one outlier statistic. I want the best fucking marriage I can possibly have. I don't care what everybody else are doing or think is normal is okay. I don't think, you know, in the terms of what society has said, well, it's just quiet quitting or it's just, you know, this or that, right? I, I, I try and not let myself down around my standards and what I believe should be upheld and how other people may be approaching and, you know, uh, leading life from a different perspective. So it's kind of like that balance, right? Of how you do one thing is how you do everything. And yet we're all humans. We're all broken. We're all flawed. We all have our own jacked up ways of, you know, thinking and navigating world, the world doing the best that we can. And I try and like live in both of those, but also not accept the fact that, that reality has to be my own and and that I can't uphold other people to that reality of my own, knowing that I think and I believe, right, that I'm evangelical about those standards. And it doesn't mean that your standards are wrong or your religion is wrong or your way of living life is wrong or how you do your own marriage. But I want to associate and align with the people that live at that extraordinary level because I know that that's how selfishly I'm going to get the most out of life. Two, I'm going to probably make the biggest impact in my family or in my community or in my business. And when you can align and compound 
those types of people and those types of environments, that's where it gets really, really fucking awesome. And I want to continue to try and find a way to get to really fucking awesome in every aspect of my life. Matt, well Maddie's said. On fire. Maddie's yeah. on fire last couple weeks, huh, Mooch? Huh? Totally. He last he, totally. He's, on. He's, he's on. I didn't even, look, I didn't bring out the timer because I knew today was, he was going to be so good. I'm making up for my, my, my dog mode. comments earlier on. Yeah. We're going to be in trouble. You know that, right? You know, we might have to cut that, last, that section off. Yeah. <laughs> last thing, and we'll put a bow on this. You know, Ash, even when you were talking earlier about, you know, the loans and you need time off for the wedding. And I, I mean, all of that stuff is like, I think we, I think we as leaders want to tell ourselves that, I know, you know, you're right. Everybody's family and I'm giving you a loan because your family and man, there's a portion of all of this conversation that in reality, it's like, um, it's, it's all self-serving. It's all self-convincing of our, to ourselves, right? Like Mooch, I'd love to ask you is what was the story you were telling yourself that you wanted to be best friends with all your employees? Yeah. The, um, well, I mean, I had built a company out of nothing, right? Like the, and was hanging out with them a lot. And I had this like belief that I wanted to have my office be like at the time, like, like Google, what people were talking about. Right. So it was like, I was like, so I wanted to be able to provide as much as possible. So it was like, so meals, we had like meals get dropped off. So people, you know, get their laundry, like all these extra little things. And I think it was mostly like, I was doing a lot of that for ego, right. For going like, Hey, look what I did. But it was like probably the story of like what entrepreneurs do. But frankly, I also just don't like being lonely. Yeah, me too. Right. Yeah. So, so it would be like, hey, who do I know that I can invite to come over? And at the time I struggled with regular friendships because I couldn't explain to them what I was doing or how much money I was making or how much money I was losing until I found a mastermind. So the only people that would have a little bit of comprehension of what I was doing were the people that were working for me. Yeah. And the, yeah. but I thought it was that they also liked hanging out. But it wasn't. They, it was maybe the same reason that when an employee asks for a draw to go to a wedding, you say yes. Maybe it's because you want them to show up for work next week. And maybe they show up at the house for the party because they want to keep their job next week. If there's layoffs, they don't want to be on the list. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there's an entire transactional, but it is transactional. And and I think that there's an entire book written on, you know, cultures and tribes. I can't remember the name of it, but talking about how many relationships we can really, you know, truly, I was even thinking as Ash was talking earlier about like, I mean, how many, how many times does your wife come to you with a certain emotion or feeling where you're like, I had no idea. I've been married to you for 24 years and I had no idea that you think this way or feel this way. And I mean, when you take your most inner circle, intimate relationship and realize that you don't know or feel or uh, will ever know or feel or connect with them fully. And then you have these circles. So you've got your your most intimate family. Mooch, you said this a f- few weeks back when we were talking about, um, you know, the fine line between morals and ethics and going to prison. And you were talking about like what a man would do to preserve his family at the end of the day. And when you think about it from a work perspective, whether it's the employee or whether it's the business leader, at the end of the day, we're going to do what's in the best interests of ourselves and our family it's survival i mean that goes back Tribal. to it and yeah. yeah and we can't like i i just don't think that we can get naive in the sense that like they're going to do the same thing too and you know i just yeah. keep thinking about 
a guy that I had to let go. I, I mentioned this a couple episodes back, but like the guy was actually Kara's youth pastor and his wife taught my children in school. And he had a very good job for 25 years at a very good company. And we finally convinced him to go to work for us. And eight months later, I had to look him in the eye and tell him right before Christmas that I was laying him and 35 other people off. And I'm just like, I still have remorse and guilt. Somebody brought him up a few weeks ago. And my initial like emotion is it's guilt. And it's, um, I feel bad. He's doing fine. He got another job. He survived. He probably doesn't think about me that often, but I did what I had to do. And I don't know, at some point in time, I hope I don't get callous around it, but I think it, we just get stronger and start to understand like, you know, where's the line in all of this? Isn't it that mindset around, at least it comes to me of like the life is happening for you, not to you. And if more, mm-hmm. more, even, you know, whether it's us or, or somebody else going through some shit, right. You know, really trying to, to have that type of mentality. I remember last year when I was going through a, you know, business split up in partnership, it was a pretty dark time for me. And I was, I was, I wouldn't say depressed, but it was, you know, I had three deaths in the family. I was selling, you know, my business thinking I was going to double it one month and the next month I'm, you know, divesting out of it. And I kept telling myself all of these things over and over all the personal development stuff that, you know, I've subscribed to over the years and, you know, it was, it was tough, right? Cause, but it was, you know, when you're going through those moments of like, just taking that accountability of life happening to me, uh, for me, not to me. And, you know, continuing to trust in that process, I have found that I've, you know, really been able to like connect some real dots in hindsight that were the best things that happened to me. And I'm sure, you know, if he took that same mindset, you know, he probably ended up in a good spot as well, even though it was a shitty time probably to get laid off and to, you know, have to experience those things. And so I think it just kind of coming back to what you said earlier, you know, Ash on positive versus negative thoughts and and which one do we give attention to kind of like the, you know, the wolf, right? Like, which one are you feeding today? Um, Here's- I think it's just a, a good reminder to, you know, be very aware of your thoughts and how they're serving you or hindering you and, that we're really at the end of the day, only in control of our own thoughts and we shouldn't live in somebody else's head anyways. Here's a, here's where I'd like to leave this, my stake in this topic. Okay. That I think that life is better lived in f- building tribes that are intimately connected around a mission and vision, relationship, culture, values that are all trying to chase one thing. Matt, uh, Mikey, sorry, you said, you know, are we peacetime leaders or wartime leaders? You can't go to war with a bunch of acquaintances that are transacting. You're going to die. I think that's true in family. I think it's true in close friendships. I think it's true. It's why most really quality masterminds succeed. I think it's why A-level teams succeed is because, because it becomes tribal. And I think the people within the tribe would also share that like, it's the best to be part of the tribe. Everyone has their role. They're all aligned. Everyone feels like they have each other's back. It's a, it's just my stake in the ground on this topic is it's just a more fun, better way to live. But in that experience, you're going to get hurt. People are going to leave the tribe and you're going to feel like, how dare they leave the tribe? What are they thinking? And so I think that's the lesson is that 
I'd rather build tribes and realize that there's lessons in people leaving and that what is my role in that problem than to abdicate that I, I don't, I, I don't want to build tribes because I'm afraid of the pain that somebody could leave my tribe and go to another tribe or not even go to another tribe, just wander aimlessly by themselves. So that's where I'm going to stick my uh, stake in the ground on this. There, There's a really great book that um, a, f- a friend of, oh, I think everybody, Ash, you might not know him, but Mark Schrager turned me on to this. It's called The Dream Manager. And it really mm-hmm. kind of set me free at the end of the day because like, number one, you know, really sitting down and, and, and understanding like, what are their dreams? What are their visions? What are their values is important. But at the end of the day, when being part of my life no longer serves them, help them move on. Yeah. So I think a lot of this like comes from the, you know, point of like, there, there might come a point in time where I'm always so impressed with people that get a divorce and can remain co-parents and live amicably, whatever, however you say that, um, because that's got to be the hardest thing. And so if we can do that as employers and employees, how much better can we all be? What do you want to move on to? What's next? As we leave that, I got to say, I think that I'm the most jaded of all of us because I was the one that said to succeed in business, they can't be your friends, you know, that you're in business with. I'm the one that, <laughs> you, you know, that I'm, so the, I think that I've had, I've just had some painful struggles through my business that I've become like a brick wall. And I'm learning that you guys are, are, uh, are different with that. So I just have to summarize that I think I'm the most jaded from, uh, from some of the trying to not take business personal anymore. It's kind of funny when you compare the, cause that was my same advice. If you guys remember on how to like have a successful partnership. Yeah. Like, yeah. Don't be yeah, I had a couple people reach out to me about that. They're like, man, we can never do business together. Mooch said, I can't, I can't do nothing with you. But I yeah. think also at the same time, right? That That's a, just a good reminder as two things can be true at once. Like yes. your experience might be completely different and that might totally work for you, you know, and it may not work for us. And, and I think, you know, there's, I, I try and look at that from a lot of different perspectives in life as well as, you know, that might work for them, but it doesn't mean it, it, it is going to work for me or it has to work for me either. And it, I have gotten a lot of questions recently through the text chat. And if you guys have questions, comments, again, don't forget to shoot those over to us because there's been some good ones flown in. 844-447-1555. A lot of people have taken note around the fact that all of us have marriages and, and what seemed to be very successful family dynamics. And I think we can all say, you know, there's been peaks and valleys in those marriages, right? It's not all rainbows and puppy dogs. But I have learned a lot from all of you in terms of being a great dad, being a great husband, you know, handling challenging times. And I'm, you know, wanting to throw back over to you guys of, uh, I, I read this quote, I sent it into our chat the other day. It was more so around, you know, couples and partnerships who can agree on, and he put four specific major issues in here. And I'd be curious of your thoughts on these particular issues. And if you'd add anything into these being key pillars of alignment for you guys to work through challenging times, the good, the bad, the ugly. He said, couples who can agree on four major issues have a much higher probability of a successful marriage. Religion, a shared household faith, in-laws, boundaries, influence, etc., parenting, and money. So 
knowing what I know about you guys and your marriages and that the fact that you guys have successful marriages and family dynamics and that you've also been through very challenging times in your marriages, what would you guys say to that statement and or add to it that has helped you guys work through creating healthy, strong, foundational dynamics that you've allowed yourself to build what you've built off of those foundations? So the, so the first one, so the first one was religion, right? So the, and so I do agree that if the, if both spouses have the same belief, then it's easy. I mean, cause religion is a core belief that should impact how you make all of your decisions. And there's lots of similar ones, but if the spouses have the same, then the kids are going to most likely have the same and it becomes a bonding thing for life. And it becomes a bonding thing a hundred years later or your grandkids, right? If they're going to church and you used to go to church or whatever it is. So there's this, it creates this like solidarity for a while. And, and it's like this other set of like morals or guidelines that you can refer back to that helps, that helps uh, when conflict arises. So I do think that that's a very important thing. You know, how to deal with in-laws, our biggest fights were when we weren't on the same page with that stuff. And so I think mm -hmm. that, that is, it is a thing because both people, they take it very personally, right? Like the, hey, wait, you don't like my mom or hey, I, you don't like my dad or, or vice versa or these different beliefs. So if you can if you can get aligned with that, I think it is really important. Um, and then parenting, like those are all the things that are challenges. It won't, when it says like your odds of staying married are better, probably. I mean, your odds of fighting less are better. Staying married is a whole different thing. Right. So I would say like, yes, I, I would title that differently and say, here's the most common fights and arguments that married, married couples get in. And if you can find somebody that you line up on these four, you won't fight as often as other people. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean you'll stay married. It doesn't mean that like you'll win or you'll be great parents or anything like that. But they are, but all of those are triggers, right? As you just, as you just decided those, but I think, I think parenting, I think being a spouse in marriage, I think it's more, comp more complicated than that. So real quick, before we move on to Mike's thoughts, I just want to get, what do you think, Aaron, is your reason through all of the ups and downs that you and Clean have been through has led to you guys staying together? Man, the um, I've said it before when people say, what is the secret to staying married? And the secret is you don't get divorced. As silly and crazy as that. that is. That's so good. That is the only answer. Because most of the time, like, we grow and we grow different. Helene and I yeah. will grow apart and we will grow together. And we'll grow apart and we'll grow together. And when we're apart, stuff's bad and it's been bad. And, and it's been like, it's been um, unimaginable. I know people that got divorced over way less, right? But then when we're together, it's like, oh yeah, that's who I married. And so there's times when I'm, I'm doing something with my habits or she's doing my habits where we grow apart. So the secret is you just stay married no matter what. And both spouses have to be willing to stay married no matter what, because we've had seasons that were like negative seasons for a couple of years in a row and then came back. And we were grateful when we came back that we didn't get divorced, mm -hmm. you know, but it's, but it's, yeah. So, so it's funny. Like, that's the only advice I can give. Like, just don't get divorced. Like do everything you can to not get divorced because usually, and starting now there are some relationships where people find new spouses and new people because they, because they just can't come back. But most people 
can can come back. They can realign values, even though values fall apart along the way. Mike, what are your thoughts? I saw I, you throwing so thumbs up over there. I I was going to say almost the exact same thing that Aaron Aaron said because like the the only thing that I would change. I, I agree on these like four areas, but I would preface it by saying, you know, as long as you're committed to staying married, these are going to be the four areas that you have to work through the most. Um, so Aaron just said exactly what I would, that would be the only preface that I would change on this because I do think, you know, and when Mike's I look the marriage at guy, just for, for the record, Mike's the marriage expert. <laughs> the marriage and, I just, guy, yeah. and I took the words out of his mouth. Well, that means that you're just amazing <laughs> at what you do. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Naval Ravikant actually said this in the Almanac of Naval Ravikant, which I think is just so profound. He said the number one most important decision you'll ever make in life is the person you decide to spend the rest of your life with. Like this is this is one of like the most brilliant minds that I've ever learned from. And, you know, venture capitalists, super successful in business. And he says the number one most important decision you'll ever make is the person you marry. And, you know, just kind of piggybacking on what Aaron said too, like even doing marriage masterminds and the couple's work and stuff like that, you can, Ash knows this, we actually had a couple in the mastermind that got a divorce in the middle of the mastermind. Oh, shit. Um, and by the way, this is not like our masterminds are not for like, this isn't marriage counseling. Like we're not marriage counselors. I know it's perfect, right? <laughs> it's like we have, we have a 25% failure rate in the mastermind. We have a 25%. So just, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, we're looking for couples that, you know, would consider their marriages like sevens and eights and want to go to a nine, 10. Like we want to grow together. We want to just become, have a bigger life. But there was literally, and Kara and I like had some struggles with this. We we literally lost a couple in year one and that was not what we had expected. But the thing that I realized is when two people come together and they start growing together and there's pressure on that marriage, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to fight through that, whether it's in the area of rel- religion, in-laws, parenting, money, whatever, or you're going to say, hey, I, there's not enough. I don't have enough commitment to this to see it through. So I'm I'm so on board with what Aaron said at the end of the day. It's like, you know, you have to fight for it, fight for it, fight for it. And if if you did the opposite of what Naval said and you married the wrong person, I'm also not an advocate of staying together the rest of your life if you're both miserable and can't see yourself spending the rest. I, I guess I'm not a... I'm not a proponent of divorce, but also at the same time, like um, Kara and I have the same rule as like, like we just till death do us part, we will stay married. And I'm very fortunate that Kara, Kara is like a very easy person to get along with. We're both very hard headed. So we have to communicate through a lot, but it's just gotten easier over time. And so at the end of the day, I do agree on these four things. Parenting was a big one for us. And we communicated a ton about it. Like we would just pause and ask the simple questions. We would never like, I was very aware of not like undermining her or when the kids would come say, Hey, can I, can I do X, Y, Z? Have you talked to your mom about it? Like, you know, you just cut those things off in the early days. Like, and I think just um, the, the other thing is like setting the ground rules with the kids. Like if they know that my relationship with Kara comes first and vice versa, that sounds kind of harsh. But the reality is those kids know that you're, I'm not going to put you in between my relationship with your mother. I'm not going to do it, like period. And, you know, when those situations come up, you have to reinforce the values conversation. It's really no different than what we were talking about at work, other than like these, this is that inner circle that there's no getting away from. 
the kids are not going to disassociate with me or they can't quit. Like this is part of it. The in-laws thing was pretty easy for us because my mom stayed out of the way at a very early age. So I didn't, I didn't have that problem. Kara's parents literally moved two weeks after we got married to Indonesia. They took her, we were just talking about this last night. They took her brother, they took her sister and they relocated like 20 hours across the world when Kara was like 19 years old. So I wonder, actually, I don't even wonder, Karen, I've talked about this. That could have been a very challenging thing for us because I think if, I think if they hadn't left, she would have had a hard time like disconnecting from her family the way she needed to, but she was kind of forced to. So I can see so many re- like ways that we were, we were blessed through it. And I'll, I'll put a bow on my part of this. The one thing that Kara always says, as long as one of us is on, we can get through anything. And what she means by that is like, I'm going to have downtime. She's going to have downtimes. Aaron, you kind of said, you know, you'll, we, we've always kind of looked at it. Like there's, there's periods of time where like, she's here, I'm here, but we always come back together. Like we always come back together. And I love what she said, because there's been times when she's really in a funk and I'm there to support her. And there's times when I'm really in a funk and she's there to support me. It's those times where both of us are in a place that I think we really have to watch out and just be really aware of because if you're both in a bad spot at the same time, that's when shit can really go south. So, mm. Ash, what would you add to that? I think that, well, for me, I, I look at this really, I feel like I have an old soul when it comes to this framework and I'm going to share a little bit of my story and some of you guys know this, but you know, in our culture, we have arranged marriage. And I am very traditional in a lot of the things that the way I am, the way I was raised, the way I think, even perhaps the way I was programmed was very like traditional, cultural. Was yours an arranged marriage or no? Yeah, like semi. And so the concept of arranged marriage has become a little more modernized, but it addresses what we're talking about here, which is people that you associate with know enough about who you are, your family, your religion, your values to feel like you and your spouse are likely to be able to agree on some foundational things in life. And the rest of it is compromise. That's how arranged marriage is uh, built. There's a lot of respect. There's a lot of honor. There's a lot of, I mean, we don't even in traditional, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, they don't even say the D word. It's not even a thing, right? It's that you're arranged based on the foundational alignment of religion, in-laws, parenting, money, status, respect, your name in the community, whatever. And there's a 90% chance that's going to be a good fit. So talk through those things. Interview each other like it's a job. And then the rest of it, you'll fall in love later and you'll compromise on the differences. That's like the foundation of, of what, arranged marriage is. And so I think in in Western culture, we fall in love first. We have all this fun. We are in cloud nine. We we allow motion to lead. And then when you you get into the real stuff, which is all of the things we're talking about, you hit all these road bumps because you're like, wait a second, how come we didn't talk about money? Well, we were in La La Land. We were were dating. We were going to the beach. We were having fun. And and now stuff is getting hard. I remember, and I'm happy to openly talk about this. I can't believe my wife didn't kick me out after my first date. 
The way I had my first date, and this is like totally shows you how inept I am. I interviewed my wife and I didn't interview her like, you know, are you good enough to meet me? I, it was sort of, sort of like an objective discussion of these things is like, look, and, and I was um, very traditional in the sense that we live in a multi-generational home that has to be acceptable to you. This is how I think about money. This is how I think about my life. How do you think about it? We didn't really talk about parenting. One of the things about in-laws is one of my rules early on is you never badmouth each other's parents. You may disagree, but you never weaponize who their parents are to them. What are they going to do? It's their parents. So like creating rules and I don't know. And that was my first date. Okay. And, and somehow she came back. <laughs> But I kind of tease that it's super important, going back to the, the conversation at hand, it's super important to create an environment early on to not have to argue or debate about these things, but to bring them up in a safe environment to make sure that these things are super clear on what the rules and boundaries are. And, uh, and then you just have to learn to compromise. I mean, I think that uh, for me, I've, what has helped me a lot is that I in marriage, you know, you can't change people. You can't change your spouse. So you have to spend a lot of time thinking about what is your role in this problem? What am I, what expectations am I creating that is causing my suffering, right? Like she's not doing the dishes or she's not doing this or she's not behaving this way or treating me this way or whatever. All of those are expectations which causes our suffering. So the more that we can think about like, okay, well, maybe I should do it. Maybe I should show up the way that I want her to show up. And I, and I think, uh, Mooch, you hit it, man. Just don't get divorced. That's the answer is just don't let it be an option. Take ownership, take responsibility and, um, manage your own expectations. Ash, are you, are you guys going to arrange marriages for your daughters? I'm just curious. And if you don't want to talk about that, that's fine. I'm, oh, I'm just yeah, curious. You know what? It's like, it worked for me. It worked for all my very progressive cousins and 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 I I stayed in a multi-generational home with four generations for 8 years of my marriage with two kids. Okay? Wow. I was the last in my little family circle, I was the last one in my generation to do that. Meaning as soon as people got married, they were out. And so there's something also about this multi-generational alignment that exists of how I'm programmed, but it worked for me. It worked for all my, the people that I see. And so I think the challenge with the modern day arranged marriage is that you, the relationships are different. You know, the, the community is different. The dynamics of the community are different than they were even 20 years ago. So, you know, would I know people in the community or, you know, like what happens in our community is you literally call grandpa's dads, grandpas call around saying, I have a nephew. I have a son. Who do you guys got? And are they a right fit? And are they not? And what are they like? Oh, I don't like that family. I don't like this family. That, that culture doesn't exist anymore. That dynamic doesn't exist anymore. So would I want it? Yeah, maybe. But I don't know if the environment is such that it exists. Mooch, you're... It's kind of a weird thing maybe that you guys are thinking, but it, it, it works. Oh, I, I think it's I think well, it's cool. I, that's 
That's why I love different cultures. It's like, what, yeah. why is my way of thinking and doing something the right way? I mean, modern it? day America, India as a country is much more modern than it used to be. So it's way different than it used to be 20 or 30 years ago. But I think like Indians have the lowest divorce rate of any culture in the world. Uh, Aaron, I know you have a young son and a Ash's daughters are beautiful. I think you guys should just spend some time together. I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> the, I think the reality was I was thinking the arranged marriage thing was kind of fascinating as he was saying that. But I know that me and all my buddies, everybody's always been trying to arrange marriages since the beginning of time too. Whenever people are hanging out, they're like, oh, look at how my son looks with your daughter. Oh, look at how my daughter looks with your son. Like that, I think that stuff's been happening since the beginning of time, but Ashish's family is, um, or his culture, it's way more acceptable. But it's just, it was just really interesting as he was saying that. I was thriving. I wanted to add a little caveat onto my stay married no matter what. And that's the, and don't get too comfortable inside that space. Because mm -hmm. my biggest risk, actually, is me taking action saying, Cleena doesn't really want me to go do that this weekend, but I know we're not going to get divorced. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. So mm -hmm. the, so the idea of, Hey, no matter what, we'll never get divorced. The, my biggest risk is getting too comfortable with that and being the idea of like, well, no matter what, she's not going to leave me. The, yeah. I just have one final question for each of you guys on this to tie it back into Mike's comment on it being the most important decision you make in your entire life. And one thread of that, right, is, is, is career, is business, is wealth building. Knowing that many people listen to what we talk about and why we do what we do because we're focused on freedom and impact. And if that is the most important decision, I'm curious if you guys could share one example of how your spouse has tied into the building of all of your empires. My first initial thought is I think that for me, my spouse gives me sigil, gives me clarity on what's important. Without her doing that, I'd probably get lost in things that I think are important. And so I think as entrepreneurs, let's just stay in that vein for a minute. I think we can, we can manifest whatever we want. We can spend time in things that we think are, are, are important. And we can get lost in that in a lot of ways. And I think for me, my spouse looks at that objectively and reminds me, whether I ask for it or not, why are you doing what you're doing? Is it important to what, what our mission is in life? Are you staying grounded? It, it's sort of that pattern interrupt that, um, you know, most people don't get. And so for me, that's, that's my immediate answer. She keeps it grounded to what's important. Simple. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. Kara, man, she brings me so much favor. Like she's just, if I ever like really wanted to close a deal or something, I'd probably just convince Kara to sit at the table. Like she's just such a good human. But just kind of mirroring what Ash said too, like she keeps me so grounded. I think I've said this before. I don't know if it was here or where, but you know, I know if, I'm not naive to the fact that if Kara and I ever did get a divorce or, or whatever, I, you know, the, the kids would pick Kara. Like she's just such an amazing mom and, and human. We would not, pick Kara too. Mikey, we would, would pick Kara too. Yeah, I know. And I would probably say, Kara, you should take the kids. You're going to be much better with them. 
By the way, I'm just trying to figure out what Tim and Kate are going to say when I arrange a marriage for them. I, I just don't know how that's going <laughs> to, I don't know how that's going to go over. Um, <laughs> uh, Dylan just got married a few weeks ago, so I, I can't, I can't fix him up. But um, yeah, Kara just, and then at the end of the day, and I think I've shared this here before too, but even, you know, when things get tough in business and shit's falling apart, which it, it's going to, I mean, we all have challenges and, you know, Kara just always keeps me grounded. She brings me back to like what really matters. I mean, I said this before when the gold mine went bankrupt and, you know, she's like, Hey, you're not yourself. I'm like, what, you know, we could lose everything. And she's like, what are they going to do? Take our kids? Like, she just brings me back to like ground zero all the time. I was like, you know, what really matters? And I get so tied up sometimes in, you know, whether it's go abundance and net worth or, you know, comparing myself to everybody else in the world. And I'm not where I want to be. There's all these things, which is, I think, partially a, a male masculine problem anyway. But man, she's just such a balance to me. Yet, the other side of it, she's like a freaking badass. She's like a ninja. Like when, you know, when she goes to work or when she rolls up her sleeves, like she just gets shit done too. So just, I wouldn't be half of where I'm at if it wasn't for her. And and Maddie, or Ash, you said this, but at the end of the day, it's just like bringing me back to what's important. You know, it's the marriage, it's the kids, it's the relationships. It When I'm dying on my deathbed, nobody's going to talk about like, you know, what an amazing freaking business I ran and all that other stuff. And if they did, it's, I, <laughs> I don't know. I just don't think it happens. So, um, she's, she's such a good balance to me. Yeah. This is such a fascinating topic for me today because clean and I are not in a good season right now. We're in one of our more where we're like in the, in the waiting for us to get back in. So it's just really kind of intense and wild to be not giving marriage advice, but like sharing marriage experience. Uh, along the way there's, but when it comes to like marriage and business, there's, there's a, a story joke fable thing I like to share. And then I'll give an example in ours. The, um, you know, there's the old story of, you know, a guy, you know, the mayor and his wife show up at a gas station. There's a guy there pumping gas and she goes, Oh, that's Jake. Oh, we used to date in high school and they're talking and they get back in the car, you know, and, and it was really friendly in the mayor. Oought, I didn't even know you knew that guy. She goes, oh yeah, the, we were, we, you know, we, we used to we used to date in high school, and he goes, oh, aren't you glad that you don't date him anymore? He's working at the gas station, and she goes, honey, if I would have married him, he'd be the mayor, right? And I believe that like spouses mm. and business, that's actually like the right spouse, right? That's that's the equivalent if you're going to be an entrepreneur of the spouse that you need, um, because I think that it takes a minute to actually figure out the the punchline there, right? She's yeah. like, you're not, I didn't marry you because you're the mayor. You're the mayor because I married you because I'm the one that supported you. And I remember when uh, Colleen and I were at our worst, one of our worst seasons, I was flipping houses. She was my broker. We were both making lots of money. She worked for me, kinda. But it'd be like, how much money did you make this? How much? Hey, I don't think we should spend money on this. Well, this is my money, so I can do it. Or, you know, it was, we were not doing good when we were both working and building our empire. And then I went broke and I started flying out to Texas every month. And I was only making like, let's say $10,000 a month again while I was doing some flips and flying. I said, you got to get your broker's license in Texas now. And she's like, we barely survived. We barely stayed married the last few years. I am never going to work for you again. And I said, I'm paying 20,000 a month to like brokers in Texas. Cause I don't know anybody like you got to go get it. And she said, no, she says, I am going to support our family and raise our family and root you on and encourage you to run your business. And it's going to grow and be plenty. 
And I remember thinking, we can't afford to do it Good that way. Good for her. Yeah. And mind you, being a mom is a thankless job. So she she liked being a broker. She liked the fact that everybody couldn't wait to work with her, that they bragged about her, that she was on Masters Club five years in a row. Like, that's fun. People tell you you're awesome. Well, your kids tell you you suck all the time. So it was a really big period. Like, the doesn't, like they'll t- also tell you good moments, but, every, but whoever a parent knows their kids have said you suck. Um, that's even a, when you that's know. a perfect example. That's a perfect example to of, of your fable that yeah. that the ladies know really what's important and, and, and they don't she see was right. the story and narrative that you're telling. Like what you're telling yourself is bullshit. I know what's really important. You'll find your way, Mooch, at some point. I've already found it and go do what you need to do. I, I think that's such a beautiful story. And our business 10 next. So like her choice of saying like, I'm going to stay out of your business and support you in your business was why the business 10 X and it got bigger than I ever thought it could. She was right. Maddie, you, you, what is your thoughts? Oh, I mean, on the business front, <clears throat> there's no way I would be where I'm at if my wife wasn't supporting me. Cause my, my greatest, you know, I think everybody's got a different definition of wealth. My, my greatest assets in my wealth equation are, are my kids and my family. I wouldn't have that without my wife. I wouldn't financially be where I'm at, you know, without her support. I mean, when Marie met me, I was door knocking like 500 houses a week, doing three open houses a week. I was still living at home with my dad. And it was honestly, a lot of the decisions I took to level up were 100% little burning embers within me that she just fanned the entire time until they became a wildfire. And I took, you know, the, the leap of faith and bet on myself to do a lot of those things. So oftentimes when I, you know, looking back and kind of connecting this dot, when I tell people I'm just dumb enough to believe in myself and smart enough to take action behind that statement is actually my wife was dumb enough to believe in me every day and breathe that confidence into me in times that I probably didn't have it myself. And that led to great milestones and stepping stones of my financial career. But it, I think the greatest thing my wife has given me is knowing that deep down inside, there's outside of my parents, you know, right? Those, those individuals in my world specifically, you know, will, will always unconditionally love me. But um, knowing that somebody always has your back no matter what, um, the good, the bad, and, and it takes going through, like, I think every single one of us, uh, at least from what I'm hearing and most of the great marriages that I, um, at least the people that are transparent about their marriages that I look at as great marriages, all of them have had really, really dark times and, and they just choose to keep fighting with each other through those dark times every day. And when you can get to a place where you feel so convicted that no matter what challenge lays in front of you. As long as we're six feet above the ground, we'll find a way to get through this. We'll fight through it. We'll love through it. You know, we'll support each other through it. We'll critique each other through it. But at the end of the day, we're going to go through it together. That's probably one of the most, if I were to say, empowering things as a man that if I were by myself, I don't, I don't think I would have gotten those pieces out of myself and out of the you know, achievements or outcomes that I've gotten. So I, I do agree with that statement of who you pick and, and they don't have to be perfect, man. I've, my, my biggest, you know, heartaches in life have been when I've tried to 
mold my wife into who I think she needs to be and grow her into this amazing person and this and that. And what I've found and learned that has made me even more of an amazing, you know, battle-tested business owner, a better dad, and honestly, just a better man in general has been the differences that my wife brings to the table. We actually don't align on religion, but what we do align on is our religion is our morals and our values. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast. And trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. And she's more spiritual. I'm a little bit more, you know, Christian-based. But at the end of the day, our morals and values are what we align on, and that drives every decision we make. So I don't think you have to be in 100% alignment on everything with your partner. They need to fit and check every box that you want them to check. But like you said, if there's the compromise, there's the mutual respect, right? And I think there's certain non-negotiables that you guys align on. And I think, again, it just comes back to rooted in morals and values, that's where I think, you know, I, I believe, I truly believe this wholeheartedly, no matter what happens in life, you know, Marie and I will, will fight to the death uh, and, and get through those challenges. And I know that that will definitely, and it has already unlocked some of the greatest growth opportunities and gifts that I've experienced as a human being. So I do think that, you know, I, and, and it's hard to know, did you pick the right person? Because I, we got pregnant before we were, we were just dating. And so, you know, we did it backwards and we had a lot of people have certain judgments about I that. Remember that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, for, and, and to be completely honest, it wasn't until like a couple months. And I've said this to her a couple months before we got married that I was like a hundred percent, like all in committed. This is my person. And you don't know that, right? Like that that just takes going through life and experiences and having tough conversations. But we both, you know, it, it requires two people to show up with that kind of attitude. And and that's where I feel very lucky for my partner, you know, and that perspective, because 
I, I would not be who I am and where I am without her. And I believe that wholeheartedly through and through. So good. I just have to say real quick, Ash, I think your parents did a lot better job negotiating than Sedgels did. <laughs> I'm just, I, I agree. <laughs> I'm just joking. All right. So let's, let's, let's wrap this up. We're, we're at an hour and a half rapid fire since we're in the theme here. Number one piece of parenting advice. Maddie, you go first. Oh, man. Oh, I mean, so, you know, we, we have all kinds of amazing frameworks and we talk and teach our kids X, Y, and Z. I think my biggest thing is my kids watch what I do versus what I say. And, and that's where I think we have the greatest responsibility and obligation to be and model what it is that we want our kids to, you know, take from us. And so just, just be what it is that you be your best, you know, advice, be your own best success story. And by proximity and engagement, you know, with your kids on a daily basis, because that intention is, you know, required on a daily basis. It's tough. It's draining. But I, that's the one piece I think is I don't need to, to teach and tell my kids what they need to do or how they need to become. I need to model it and show it. And that's where I've seen my kids do stuff without me having to say anything. That's good. Ash? I love that. I'll double down on that. I'll, I'll put a check marks on that one for sure. Setting the example, doing the work, showing them what that looks like is, is probably one of the most important things. I'm really leaning into right now of um, this idea that, you know, your kids need to be likable. Um, in order to, to succeed in this world, and I don't mean monetary success, to have quality relationships, to be healthy, to find your way in life. People need to like you. They need to be able to be influenced by you. They need to be able to want to spend time with you. You know, there's a, a great book called The Outliers. It talks about why hockey players or soccer players are successful. It's because it's because coaches are influenced to try to spend more time with you based on your age and skill sets or whatever. So point is, is like, you know, I'm at a, a I'm at a phase right now with my little ones where I want them to learn how to shake somebody's hand and smile at them and look at them in the eye. Like, hi, I'm here. Nice to see you. Instead of just like running around like a little kid, like, oh yeah, hi, whatever. No, like engage with people and even adults. That's my little piece of advice in this phase of my life. Mooch. It's amazing as phases change where, where our, our advice changes too. Um, no secrets. No mm -hmm. secrets and no shame. The no shame is a little bit harder to do to like not reflex into like, what were you thinking? Because that's shame. And that's like a very powerful thing, but it feels like garbage. But like if one of my kids gets arrested, I want to be the first call. I don't want to yeah. be them saying, how can I make sure dad never finds out about this? Like, yeah, I want to be the resource that they come to when they've made the biggest mistake ever and they've had the craziest thing happen. And I want them to know that they can tell me. And I'm like, okay. Let's see what we can do. So the no, so I tell them on, so I'm honest with them about everything. And we try to have them be honest with us. And I think my, and, and my kids are honest with us about, they tell us way more stuff than we ever told our parents. And so that's been, that's been the flag that I've been sticking in. Honest with everything and then no shame. And there's times when they tell us things and we go, okay, so we have, there has to be a punishment, but it would have been worse. Our, our daughter told us about like, she, you know, she went on this weekend thing and ended up being like a big party and she didn't know ahead of time. Like no parents were there for the weekend. Like got this camping thing. She's 14. And she's sharing these stories with us right when she comes back. 
And we're like, and she goes, but if I tell you, you have to let me go back. And after she tells us the whole story, we say, sorry, you can't go back up there next weekend. But we do, but you're not in trouble. And thanks for telling us. And she was like pretty bummed at, she was like mad at us for a couple of days. A couple of days later, all the parents found out because some stuff happened up there. Some kids got kicked out of school over all this stuff. And she goes, oh, thank God I told you <laughs> right when you picked me up from their house instead of waiting for you to find out this way. So it was a good like, yeah, you know, and, and again, and it was like, you, weren't you weren't in trouble for doing all that. And we so appreciate you telling us that we actually had to like, so anyway, no secrets. I, I want them when they need me most and they're embarrassed to tell me, I want them to not be embarrassed to tell me and come to me. That's, that's the goal we're at. Mike? That's so good, Aaron. Like, I mean, that's one of our principles too, is just always, 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 you know, be honest, tell the truth. Um, the, the challenging part, and you kind of pointed that out, is just like, you know, I've always said if they do that, they can't, we can't retaliate. Like, cause I mean, the minute you retaliate, it's the minute you kind of break that too. So, um, the other thing, you know, Karen and I, uh, and I love the seasons comment too, Aaron, cause it does change. But the thing that I realized, they're all so different. And they're all humans. I mean, even just back to the employee conversation and um, everybody's everybody's uniquely an individual and our kids are all individuals and, you know, what works for one doesn't work for the other. And, you know, they're just constantly trying to navigate their own problems and emotional issues and all of that. And one of the things that Kara and I, we, we, we tried to say yes as often as possible. Because I think a lot of times as a parent, like our default answer is no, we're trying to protect them. We're trying to or even just stupid things like, Hey, this, this was a realization for Kara and I, Kayton had had a sleepover on Friday, halfway through the day, Saturday, she's like, Hey, can Janie or whatever, stay over again. And Kara said, no. And I didn't, I didn't say anything at that point in time. Don't argue with me. No. Um, then I asked Kara, I'm like, are we doing something tonight? And she's like, Nope. I'm like, well, why can't she have a sleepover? Kara grew up with this rule that you can have a sleepover one night a week. And so she kind of carried that into her parenting style. And I was like, it, we're not doing anything tonight. Like, and it was one of those opportunities where Kara and I just started, it really started a conversation around, Hey, how do we say yes as often as possible? Because I think, I think programming that in our kids that, you know, unless there's a very valid reason, it's yes. Like, and that's really, I mean, whether it's starting a business, whether it's, you know, needing money, whether it's, Whatever it is in life, like the universe, God says yes to us. And I think that they learn through those processes too. If I think so many parents program their kids to, um, they, they think that everything's just going to be a no in life. And so that was a big, that was a big one for us. So now what? Good. That's it. Put a wrap it up. Call it a day. Boom, boom. Good job, boys. This was a good episode. Family, chick kids. This is exactly we we didn't know we were gonna go here today, but this was Dogs. a good topic. I was gonna say we started slow, we started a little, you know, out in left field, <laughs> but we, we finished with a bang, baby. Good episode. I'm just wondering how many people are gonna end up hating us because like bring it their their parents yeah. because their parents put them into arranged marriages. That's all. That's, <laughs> I'm impressed by everybody it. is arranged in some way. You're either arranged by a website. You, you're arranged True. by a girlfriend or a friend, a boyfriend, whatever. Like everybody's arranged. You don't just randomly meet people. You could be arranged by a bar. By two random people showing up in a bar, you're aligned on something. Mm. It's interesting to think about how many parents are utterly screwed up. 
because I was just thinking about like your parents, you, you said something that was amazing. Like, you know, the families have their values and they're the best person to pick. And I, man, I agree with that. But there's so many, it's just like, there's like most people would not want their parents picking their, <laughs> their significant other at this stage. We're really messed up. That was one thing that I was thinking about. I didn't really want to say it when, but like, yeah, I would not want my parents picking my spouse. Well, I think a lot, a lot of, uh, yeah. And we didn't talk about the exceptions. I think everyone needs to assume that we didn't, we're not telling you to stay married if you're in an abusive relationship, if somebody's violent, right? We're not talking about the exceptions, but I think going back to the middle of the fairway, right? Mike, I mean, I think everybody is traumatized, good, bad, or ugly from their parents in some way. So how are we taking that trauma into our relationships and how are we using that to vet whether or not, you know, what type of person. I have a friend who grew up in a really traumatic relation. His parents had a really traumatic relationship and they stayed together in the same house, never spoke to each other because they thought it was good for the kids. And until they were old enough, uh, like 18 or whatever, then they divorced. And so his narrative was that this is what marriage looks like. And that trauma basically screwed him up. And so he didn't get married till way, way later. And he still goes through these psychological things and therapy and all that to unwind all that programming. So I think it's inevitable, good, bad, or ugly. We're all taking that trauma into our relationships, right? Like saying no to one night is like, well, she must've gotten whooped about trying to stay at two nights at some friend's house. And now her rule is you're going to do one. That trauma we carry over into how we parent, how we bring in a relationship. So... That's why I, I think that the best way, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to promote you, Mike, a little bit, is like, what can we do? What is our role, our self-awareness? How, what, how can we break our patterns? And how, how can our spouse help us break those patterns? And then like, join a mastermind. You know, Mooch said it, like the worst part of, you know, you got to be growing together. You got to be working on it. So join a mastermind. The Ayala's have, I think the only one, if I'm not mistaken, but... Join a mastermind. Talk about these things. Start the conversations. Work through it. And if you end up in divorce, hey, maybe that's the right path. Who knows? I'll work on it. Oh, good stuff. We do a mic drop. I love you guys, man. This is good. Oh. Okay, until next time, that's it for the King's Table. Um, please reach out to us if you have any questions. Maddie has a cell phone number that every, he's texting, you know, people are texting him, so that's great. The podcast can be found on everyone's uh, podcast individually. We're also putting it on YouTube. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please reach out. If you have any topics you want us to talk about, text us. And if you don't like it, stop listening. Uh, the cost of listening, remember, is that you have to share it with one person that may get benefit from it. And uh, until next time, be the kings of your own kingdom. Love you guys. Peace out. Bye, all. Peace. Bye. Bye-bye.